Can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Before we begin today's episode of Beauty IQ Uncensored, we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia. We recognise and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future whose lands were never ceded. Hi everyone, we miss you and we can't wait to be back in your ears very, very soon. Promise, it's coming. As we work on things behind the scenes, we've dug into the archives and found some of your favourite segments. So here's a throwback episode just for you. Welcome to our next guest, Michelle Wong joins us. She's a science educator and content creator, but you might know her better as Lab Muffin Beauty Science on Instagram. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, good morning. It's very nice to have you on today because we're going to be talking about, I think deciphering ingredients would be a good way to sum up this interview because we get a lot of questions about how to read an ingredients label. How do you work out what's in your products and how do you determine what's what. Can you explain a bit about the method of reading an ingredients label on your skincare? Sure. So on the ingredients list, so when you flip to the back of a packet, they'll have an ingredients list and legally they have to list the ingredients in descending order. So in other words, the first ingredient is going to be the thing that there's most of. So usually that's going to be water then Mm -hmm. it's going to be the next highest and so on. Around where there's 1%, so if there's 1% or less of an ingredient, then they can list it in any order. There's a few caveats though. So even if you have two ingredients lists that are exactly the same, it is possible that they are not the same product. So for example, Mm -hmm. if you have water, then I don't know, um, sunflower oil. If you have two products that have those two lists, then you could have 50% water, 50% sunflower oil, or you could have 99% water, 1% sunflower oil, and they would have the same ingredients list. Okay. All right. So it's a little bit more complex than maybe we first thought. (laughs) What ingredients should we look for and what should we avoid in a general sense? In a general sense, I don't think there really is anything that everyone should avoid. Everyone's skin is different. Everyone reacts differently to different ingredients. And so a lot of the time it's about learning what your skin likes and what your skin doesn't like and learning to look for those ingredients or avoid them. So I guess the most common ingredients that people have problems with, sodium lauryl sulfate is a common one. So that's a cleansing ingredient. It is one of the harsher cleansing ingredients now. We have a lot more gentle cleansers on the market. So a lot of the time, if that's high up on an ingredients list, it can lead to dehydrated skin. So your skin might feel tight. It might feel a bit itchy. It might Mm -hmm. be a bit more sensitive than normal. So I think most people probably could avoid that. I mean, that doesn't mean that if you're using a cleanser that has SLS in it and your skin is fine, then that that's mm-hmm. fine. It can be formulated so that it is quite gentle. Other problem ingredients, fragrance is a relatively common sensitivity. So some people are actually allergic to fragrance. Essential oils often have allergens in them as well. So if your skin is sensitive, it might be a good idea to avoid that. There's also a couple of preservatives that have really common reactions. So they're called MI and MCI. My skin is not very sensitive, but it is sensitive to those. So if I have them in a shampoo, then I get a really 
itchy, irritated scalp. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. yeah. What I really like about your Instagram is that it really is like a myth-busting channel for skincare. Perhaps you could expand a little bit on the myths around alcohols and silicones and parabens in skincare and what those ingredients actually do and why they're used or not used anymore. Sure. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> it's really <laughs> nice to hear. Maybe we'll start with parabens. So parabens are preservatives. Mm-hmm. They're in lots of products. Before there were preservatives, there were all these issues with people getting infections from their products. So one of the problems with products is that they tend to contain a lot of water and bacteria Mm -hmm. and fungi love water. So Mm -hmm. you might have seen this if you've ever gotten like a more natural product and then you've left it for a bit too long and then you open it and you've got like furry stuff in it. It gets a film of, yeah, stuff on the top of it. Yeah, or like black spots or something, yeah. So sometimes that can be bad for you. Like as we sort of know now with COVID, there are germs everywhere. And if you have too many, Mm -hmm. then it can infect you. So preservatives are important to reduce that from happening. It still does happen, but the chances become a lot lower. So there were really quite dreadful things happening before preservatives so people would get these nasty ulcers in their eye and like it could make you go blind wow yeah nowadays when you put on an eye cream like going blind is not on your radar and that's because of preservatives (laughs) so yeah parabens I don't think they're worth avoiding unless you are specifically allergic to them Okay. And Mm. what's the place of silicones in skincare? So silicones, there's actually quite a lot of different silicones. There are Mm -hmm. ones that are volatile. So cyclopentasiloxane, for example. So these help. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It is a little bit. (laughs) So this one helps products spread on your skin. It's Mm -hmm. Mostly used in foundations, primers, and sunscreens. So things where you want there to be a nice, smooth film on your skin. Yep. Another one is dimethicone. Dimethicone is not volatile, which means it doesn't evaporate. Cyclopentasiloxane evaporates after you apply it. Dimethicone acts as a moisturizer. So it helps your skin retain water. Interesting. Okay. So there's nothing to be scared about when you can see silicones in your product? With silicones, health-wise, there isn't. There are a Mm -hmm. few environmental concerns. Okay. That's interesting. Mm. And then on to alcohols. There's often talk around alcohols and skincare being bad. Are there good alcohols in skincare? And if so, what what should we look out for? So alcohols is like a really broad group. Anything with an OH group is technically an alcohol. But if you see the word alcohol Mm -hmm. on an ingredients list, usually it will be ethyl alcohol, which is the drying alcohol. So that one, if your skin is prone to getting dried out, then it could be worth avoiding. But there's no evidence that there's any long-term effects. So I think I've seen people say that it makes your skin age or it might produce free radicals in your skin, but there's not much evidence of that happening, which is good because I've been using so much hand sanitizer. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of good alcohols, fatty alcohols tend to be quite good. So these are things like sterile and settle alcohol. These are basically just oily substances that will moisturize your skin. They're also really good in hair products. Okay. Mm. So when it comes to complementary ingredients in products, a question that we get all the time is what ingredients can I not mix together or what can I mix together? What goes together? Are there any ingredients that are complementary to each other when included in a formula? Like I know that C ferulic is a really popular product for us. 
Yeah, so um, C ferulic is a really classic combination. So vitamin C is extremely unstable. It breaks down, if it's in water by itself, it breaks down in about three weeks. When it's placed with other antioxidants, they help the vitamin C stay as vitamin C so that when you put it on your skin, it's still active. So yeah, vitamin E and ferulic acid are great for that with vitamin C. I probably wouldn't Mm -hmm. recommend getting vitamin C by itself unless it was with some other antioxidants. That's a good tip. Mm. Do you recommend not mixing, like, the biggest question is, can I mix glycolic acid or acids in general Mm. with retinol? Is that something you recommend or don't recommend? I think the only real issue with that is irritation. So retinol is so irritating on its own that a lot of the time you Mm. probably want to stop anything else irritating as you're adding it into your routine. So I think if you've added retinol into your routine and your skin has stopped flaking like mad, then adding glycolic acid shouldn't be a big problem. Yeah, yeah. I always say it's down to personal preference at the end of the day, if your skin can tolerate it. I love mixing. James Vivian, who we had on for the exfoliation episode, he wears his retinol with his AHAs every night. And that just is like, that sounds like a maniac to me. (laughs) For him, he's like, my skin can just tolerate it. And I guess men's skin can tolerate a little bit more than than ours can, I guess, because it's a little bit thicker. Mm. Can you touch a little bit on chemicals in skincare? Because I think it's become a bit of a buzz phrase to say something that is chemical free. Mm. But as you say on your Instagram, what am I paying for then? (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) everything is a chemical, Uh even water. Anything you touch or breathe in or anything is a chemical. So chemical free. We're chemicals, aren't we? Exactly. We're made of like DNA, proteins, tons of chemicals. So I think, yeah, chemical free. The only thing that's really chemical free is like a vacuum with no air in it. So you would be paying Mm -hmm. for nothing. I think (laughs) a lot of the time, though, when people say chemical, what they mean is a synthetic chemical. So something that's Mm man-made. And even then, it's not really a great stance. So there are tons of things in the nature that are really nasty and will kill you. So for example, yep. um, as we know, we live in Australia. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so many spider poisons, toxins. Yeah. Thinking that natural is safer is not really the case. Even in skincare with things like essential oils, they tend to be the things that people have allergic reactions to. If you have incredibly sensitive skin, A lot of the time, a dermatologist will prescribe you a product that is almost entirely synthetic chemicals for that reason. You're a big advocate for wearing sunscreen. Can you briefly explain to us the difference between chemical and physical sunscreen and why you might choose one over the other? So chemical and physical sunscreen mostly refers to how the sunscreens work. So chemical sunscreens absorb UV and convert it to heat. Physical sunscreens actually do mostly this as well. So about 90% of incoming UV is absorbed and turned into heat, but about 10% of it is reflected or scattered. So that's the main Mm -hmm. difference. And that was only a recent discovery, wasn't it, Michelle? Because up until relatively recently, we thought that physical sunscreens reflected a higher percentage of those rays. Is that right? I think it's not really a new discovery as such. I think it's Mm -hmm. mostly that it's become a lot more popular because uh paper was published which was like stop saying this <laughs> yeah and I mean it's not even just a marketing myth or anything it's been in dermatology journals like proper peer-reviewed dermatology yeah. journals for years it's good that that's getting out mm-hmm. there now yeah so that's the main difference so in terms of reasons for using one over the other 
I think this is mostly an American thing, to be honest. So Australia has better sunscreens than America. Yeah. We probably have the best sunscreens in the world, don't we? I think we do. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a bunch of sunscreen ingredients that we're allowed to use here, which they aren't allowed to use in the US. But because the US has such a monopoly on beauty marketing, a lot of the time their marketing, even though it doesn't really apply here, people still say that. So there is a common thing, which is physical sunscreens are better for sensitive skin, which is true in the US if you're only have access to US sunscreens, but here it's sort of a bit less clear cut. So physical sunscreens are safer, I guess, if you don't look at the ingredients list. If you look at the ingredients list and it has newer chemical sunscreens, then that is also fine for sensitive skin. Ah, thank you so much for joining us today to chat all things ingredients. I'm sure that other people have found this really helpful. I have found Joanna's it. Joanna's been nerding out. Yeah, I have. I just, I, I could chat to you all day, but we've got a time limit. So um, <laughs> we'll have to wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated.